Hi, everyone, and welcome to the seventh episode of Assets Anonymous, your 12-step podcast to get grounded in reliability basics and create a culture of continuous improvement with your team. I'm your host, Tom Wilk, the Chief Editor of Plant Services, and I'm pleased to be joined today with George Williams and Joe Anderson of Reliability X, which aims to bridge the gap between operations and maintenance through holistic reliability focused on plant performance. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Well, we're on step seven today, and the first six steps covered foundational topics like understanding reactivity and proactivity and knowing both where you stand and where you're going, all of which is leading to step seven through 12, uh, which seem to involve making decisions and taking actions that'll be important to continue on making progress. Today's episode is, is focused on investing in people. And we were just talking, um, do we really have to do that in the plant? <laughs> You're not obligated to invest in people. There is no statute, law, or regulating body that will require you to invest in your people. <laughs> Maybe OSHA. <laughs> not yeah, even from, from a safety perspective, that's about it. Yeah. Right. Uh, unfortunately, though, the, the keys to success kind of all lie in that space. And so, you know, I think the downfall we see in industry is not having a focused effort on that. And I don't necessarily, you know, I'll let Joe chime in here, but you know, what's interesting to me or that I find is that HR departments have these goals and objectives to actually do just that. And departments don't necessarily utilize them to their full advantage. Um, So through no fault of anyone else's own, the employee ends up being neglected. Yeah. It's, um, well, there's two pieces to that, right? One is the chicken and the egg syndrome. Um, and the other is the fact that we operate in silos. And so I'm not even sure, for example, a maintenance manager understands their, what budget lies out there for training through HR and that type of stuff to use it to their advantage. Um, that's one piece. The chicken and the egg piece is... Um, companies now are going well to invest in people it requires a cost um but again if you don't invest in people you'll never get better so it's kind of uh, this dilemma that they're in and of course when things start going south the first thing that gets eliminated from every space is the training program hmm. and then right behind that is their reliability program And so you lose knowledge, skill development, that type of thing, as well as the overall reliability of your facility. (laughs) And that spiral, right? Like, think about like what's happening right now. You have all these companies that are in dire need of people. And if they've had a longstanding history of not investing in their people, they've probably are on the the worst end of that spectrum where people are leaving the organization to go elsewhere. It's not always about pay. And, and so I think organizations that have done this well have probably had better retention. Now I don't have any statistical data to prove that theory, but my guess is that's the case. Well, I know new statistics have come out. So The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, um, it's OECD, every year they put out uh, the compendium of uh, productivity indicators, Um, and they do it by country based on GDP, labor hours, and all this type of stuff. But what's interesting is in the United States, we've averaged since 2005 um, 
right around 1% or less of uh, GDP per labor hour. Um, so, which means our productivity is horrible, right? And a lot of that, I think, is because we've shift focus from results um, to other things that I really won't state here because it'll get me in trouble, but it's, it's more... Um, uh, political, I'll just say from that perspective. And, uh, and we've neglected, there's basically three areas that you should focus on. One is your talent management, two is time management, and three is energy management, right? And so talent management is, you know, professional development, um, succession planning, um, preparation for advancement, those types of things, coupled with the education and training needed for their position. And all that stuff is pretty much gone at this point within most organizations. They don't even train their people how to operate equipment at this point. Like all, almost all of it is out the window. And the other piece is that uh, we're horrible with time management and no one utilizes a calendar properly and they don't use the calendar to manage their time. If you just look at managers today, I think the statistics that I saw was like managers have less than seven hours a week of uninterrupted time in their schedule to do like deep strategic work, which should be a majority of their job. Instead, they're doing all the shallow work and things that don't add value to the organization because they're caught up in things. And then the third piece is the energy management piece, which is basically inspiration, right? Where's the inspiration? And an inspired employee statistically has two to three times more productivity as a satisfied employee than an unsatisfied employee. And we know the statistics with dissatisfied employees is horrendous. Right. It's, you know, the 99 percent are dissatisfied, you know. And so what can we do um, to refocus and gain those things back? But I think it's because priorities in business have shifted. Um, and that's what's caused a lot of these issues. I know that segment made me feel better, very inspired. And I'll probably be much more pro productive Joe. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, you've tackled a couple of these topics in our pages in the past. Uh, you know, you did a story this past January on operator-driven reliability. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that because you covered how to inspire operators uh, a lot in that in that segment too, sort of what, what they can do to take, um, take control and take more authority over the health of their asset. Yeah, well, it's... Um there's a few pieces to that right there's i, I kind of break in people down into three categories there's the 10 percenters the top 10 percenters the middle 80 percenters and the bottom 10 percenters mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is the top 10 percenters are those that are willing to change they're naturally motivated and they want to do well all the time they're always looking for ways to improve um the problem with that group is typically they lack direction um, because of a lack of leadership, right? And people don't understand how to steer those people and utilize them to their advantage um, to gain that productivity. The 80 percenters are the people that show up every day. They do okay at their work, but every time a new initiative's la- launched and it fails, it's just like, all right, here we go again. 
And so when a good leader comes in and tries to inspire people, get them motivated to go do things, um, they kind of sit on the fence just to wait and see if this is going to be another failed thing or if they're going to get involved when success starts to come. Right. And then the, the bottom 10% are the people that they're there for a job and they're only going to do what they feel like doing no matter what. And for whatever reason, we like to spend a lot of time on the bottom 10% and it eats up a lot of our time. And I think that's a mistake. I think we should focus on the 10% at the top, give them direction. You know, they're naturally motivated. It's not hard to inspire them. They want what's best. And most of them know, but they have perceived obstacles or, or, or actual obstacles in their path that keep them from doing those things. So if we can remove those things, we'll begin to see success fairly quickly. And then once that snowball starts, that 80% starts pulling off the fence. And, and then there becomes a point where you reach uh, the tipping point where the bottom 10% will improve naturally because they're forced to. And instead of focusing all our energy on that bottom 10%, we should focus on the top 10%. It's the same with operations. You have these great operators that want to do well, but we'll put something in place like operators aren't allowed to touch a machine because some operators at some time made a mistake and it cost the company money. And now maintenance is saying, we don't want them touching the machine, right? Mm -hmm. Where these operators, they're an extension of the maintenance department. And if you can utilize them correctly, it allows you to give up some tasks that you shouldn't be doing anyway in the maintenance department, mm -hmm. but because we don't allow operators to touch machines, right? Because mm -hmm. we haven't done a good job training them and developing them. Um, it, it hinders the business. So if we can, um, get that 10% motivated and get them doing some of those tasks and alleviating stuff in the maintenance department where we could focus on the higher, uh, bigger priority things that need to get done. Um, I think that's key, but I, you know, again, it's one of those things where uh, I don't think uh, we have quite the understanding on how to, how to lead that. So. Well, you know, it, we've done surveys um, in the past in plant services uh, on leadership. Tom Moriarty um, had driven those surveys. And one of the findings that came out of those surveys is that uh, the average time between first promotion to leadership position and then leadership training was eight years. Yeah. Um, um, there's a hu huge delta in people being moved into positions of authority, decision-making authority, authority over teams. And yet very few get the immediate training on how to manage those teams, whether they have the skills or not. I just found that surprising. And it, it backs up what you're saying about we've got to find some way to motivate those top performers. So what ends up happening with that statistic is there's two or three companies that actually train their employees and no one else. Everybody does. else is zero. <laughs> yeah. So it makes it an eight year when typically it's a zero. Mm-hmm. This guy was really good at running this piece of equipment or fixing this machine, so we're going to promote him. Joe and they're I talk not, about that all the time. Yeah, they're not looking at him and going, this guy is a great leader. I, and most leaders aren't the most technical people. 
they know how to delegate work, get work done. They know how to do things like that. Uh, but in that I can, I can vouch for that because my first promotion to supervisor and maintenance was in the beef packing industry because I was a master of the K-Pack machine, which was a chub maker for ground beef that made the, <laughs> like the one, two, three, five pound chubs. <laughs> because I knew that machine so well, they said, we got to promote that guy. And I was promoted. And now all of a sudden I'm leading people <laughs> with no training, no nothing. Right? Well, that and it happens all the time, both on the maintenance side and operations and all over the plant. You do your job well. Um, you're not required to find your su- successor. You're not required to groom or coach anybody or train them how to do your job. You end up promoted. So now there's a gaping hole in the organization. When you get promoted, they don't. So if you're the, a maintenance technician, you get promoted the supervisor to give you zero training in how to supervise people. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get promoted to maintenance, you know, eventually the maintenance manager, you get zero training in how to develop a budget, zero training in anything that deals with managing a team, change management, people skills, none of it. Uh, and then eventually you're the plant manager and it's, it's not much different. It, you know, organizations are talent reliant, not because they have created great training programs and systems, but because they just happen to have promoted somebody that figured it out or they didn't figure it out and they keep going through that position over and over again. Let's take a look at a couple of different kinds of positions then. Um, let's say you have a, a, a relatively new employee, um, fresh, um, um, out of whatever program they trained in to join the, uh, the, the frontline maintenance staff. Um, you know, given that you talked about, you know, one of the things you don't want to do is overload people so they get bogged down in the minutia. You know, how do you go ahead and invest in that person and make sure their time gets spent wisely? What are some of the things that you would do that you see plant, uh, top quartile present plants? Hopefully you've figured that out in the onboarding process. Yep. If you have not figured it out in the onboarding process, you've probably doubled your workload trying to figure it out later. Hmm. So in the onboarding process, you should have done that skills gap assessment to see where that person falls in your current pool of talent and what training direction that person should be going in. If none of that exists, which is highly probable, (laughs) then it's go shadow this person. Hmm. And unfortunately in our, in the maintenance space, the buddy system is a real thing and you get coupled with somebody when you get hired and you're probably just going to work with that person for the next 20 years. And they think two people get more jobs done than one person. Um, and that one person is a gopher for the first five years and <laughs> not really learning anything. Right. And so, it, you know, it, that's a challenge. I, I think, you know, from my perspective, you have to vet out and have a path to success inside any area. But in the maintenance organization, it's all about your technical skill sets. Um, and if you're going to have a path forward to supervision, uh, what type of people skills do you have? I think we need to get rid of employees. Uh, evaluation. Employees, get rid of employees. What the heck? Joe? No. <laughs> get rid of employee evaluations. <laughs> and start doing individual development plans <laughs> so that you're working your the development plan you're focusing on their growth every year and you meet with them quarterly to see where they're at on their plan <laughs> instead we wait till oh they're due in january well on december 31st we're running through marking them as a number five four three two one and then giving two seconds of feedback on it and turning it in 
So nine that box. we got nine you know, bucks. Right. You know, it's like you're if you the pro uh, the problem is one, the maintenance manager has been so focused on reactive maintenance the whole year. They haven't had any time to spend to develop their people. Cause again, if they only have seven hours free because of meetings all the time, um, how do you spend that seven hours? And typically that seven hours is on the floor turning wrenches with mechanics mm-hmm. because they're in reactive mode. Right. And so how are you going to spend time developing employees? That's where taking a step back and realizing your job is 75% strategic. You've got to set the direction going forward. How are things are going to change? What's your departmental plan? Right. Including what's the development plan for my folks. And if you're doing a skills gap assessment at onboarding, you already know where your weaknesses are and you can plan accordingly to get the proper training to people and make that a part of their development plan. What are the differences in investment, would you say in employees, like we're talking about like, like recent hires versus the 15, 20 year senior millwrights out there, the ones who, they sort of made it clear they're not comfortable getting promoted, maybe even be on supervisor, but the ones who really do like working with the assets. Um, is, are there different techniques to use to invest in those people to keep them, again, occupied, uh, inspired on the job? So, um, A, uh, people that are um, not necessarily looking for advancement, that's still a great thing. Those mm-hmm. if they're comfortable where they're at. Um, that's admirable. If they love what they do, <clears throat> that, that's good. That that also means they're not willing to be promoted up till failure. <laughs> and so that's a good thing. Great point. Um, for the folks that do want advancement, the organization has to have a pathway for that. Here's the training and skill sets you need. And that, yes, that pathway may be different than a technical brush up your technical skill sets, right? Um, so it's really up to the, and that's what maintenance management is all about, right? And on top of the strategic thing, it's, it's managing your organization, mm-hmm. identifying the people that do want advancement, identifying the people that want to broaden their mind and expand their capabilities and giving them a pathway to do that. That's how you retain people. A raise mm-hmm. only lasts 30 days. People figure out how to spend it. So um, that's not really a permanent way or permanent strategy to keep folks. Yeah, for the 20 or 30 year vet, right? Um, typically, most organizations aren't using PDM technologies, or if they are, they're not very good at it. And so it's really easy to develop champions that are veterans in the maintenance department by introducing them to these technologies. It's something new, it's something fresh, it's something that it's easy to learn, and it's a new skill. And most of those type of guys, they want as many skills as possible. And so a good way to inspire them and keep them inspired is uh, putting PDM technologies in their hands or challenging them to create a different process or how can we improve things where you're utilizing their knowledge and making them feel valued. Um, I think that that's a key part with your veterans. Okay. Well, we've got time in the podcast for one more topic, and maybe I can turn to investing in yourself. Um, you know, Joe, you made a great point that it's tough for people to, especially in leadership positions who haven't been trained, to remember that their job is so strategic. So let me frame the question this way. Let's say you either are a manager 
who knows that there's some gaps to fill. Um, we can extend that out to a millwright who knows there are some training gaps to fill. What are some of the ways to advocate for your own self advancement that you know work? What are some of those arguments that resonate? Because we do hear sometimes you said training budgets get cut really quickly. What are some arguments you can make that would help the, uh, the people with uh, the, the training budgets say, yeah, let's, let's go, uh, go ahead and do the training, get invested. Understanding root causes of issues is a big one that helps you develop case study, right? For example, if um, as a maintenance manager, um, I want to introduce um, ultrasound technology, right? I'm one, I'm going to use my ultrasound provider to come in, do a quick assessment and show the value back to the company to um, it's your ability to sell it to the organization. Um, most maintenance managers that I know are not well versed on how to sell that business case. Um, I don't think I've really ever been told no when I asked for training dollars. Um, the way that I look at things is they hire when I was a maintenance manager, they hired me to be the expert. And so it was my job to come to the table offering my expertise. And if I saw a gap in my maintenance department, um, you know, I would present the business case and the budget needed to close that gap. Um, but that's a big problem for a lot of maintenance managers, especially if you were just promoted because you're really good at working on a machine. Mm -hmm. How do you develop a business case? You know, what's the terminology? How do you speak the language to the upper management? I mean, you know, right. th there's a lot of things to learn there. Um, and again, I kind of taught myself mm -hmm. plus, you know, having mentors uh, always <laughs> helps, right? Try to find a mentor, find a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, that can help you do this type of stuff because that's where the value comes in is you being able to speak to the organization in a way that wins you over that money for budgeting for training and, and skill development and stuff like that. So coupled with that, I mean, Joe, Joe makes a phenomenal point in that you have to be able to justify what you're looking for, right? So what business value the, do you get back in exchange for that training? Once you've identified that, it now becomes, well, who can I get on my side? How can I create that coalition? And if it's technical training that if not done well, could potentially result in an injury, then you get safety on your side. If it's technical training that reduces the mean time to repair and you can operate more and create more units, you get the production manager on your side. So it, you know, once you've identified what the area of opportunity is, figure out how to how to create the value for everyone else because the larger your coalition, the more probability of success in what you're asking for. Okay. Well then, Hey, <clears throat> those are some really great tips on not only how to motivate others, but also to do a quick self-assessment and get some, you know, third-party feedback from coaches and other uh, people who uh, can help influence your, your self-investment. Um, Joe and George, thanks for being here for investing in people today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Thomas. Thank you. And for those listening, I'll put some links to articles that uh, Joe and George have written on this topic in the speaker notes, including Joe's cover story from January 2022. 
on operator-driven reliability, and also Joe's cover story from February 2021 on leadership. Um, Tune in for episode eight next time. What do I own and how critical is it?